0: So we're in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, and last week, um, Pastor Matt preached from John chapter 4, and there was a, a strong evangelistic component to that scripture, and we talked about the fields were white for harvest, and he encouraged us from the word to be thinking about, you know, who can we tell about Jesus, and thinking, can we even say, you know, hey, have you considered Jesus, have you thought about who Jesus is? And this passage is going to have some very similar themes, but while last week was saying the, the field is ripe for harvest, and look at all these opportunities, this passage this week is also going to talk about opportunities for sharing the gospel, but it's also going to acknowledge in some ways maybe the elephant in the room of the fact that that is often can seem like a very daunting and difficult thing to do. Um, so why don't I, I read the text first for us, and then we'll talk a little bit about, it, walk through it, and then um, go from there. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. Paul's writing, and he says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now this passage comes at the towards the end of the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's part of one of those letters that we might often kind of skim over, whether it's in the personal Bible study or um, or even as you're reading it together, like, okay, yeah, Paul's talking about where he's going to go and his travel plans and, you know, giving shout outs to his friends and, and thanks and things like that. Just kind of, you know, your usual um, ending things. But I think in these two verses, there's actually a lot that we can mine out of these words that Paul writes. They are not, none, none of the words in Scripture are there accidentally or insignificantly. This verse has been, these verses have in particular been influential in my own story and walk with the Lord, um, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on today, um, how it relates to me, because I want to talk about how this relates to us as a congregation. But it comes at the end of 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians is a book that Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And it's a letter that has, addresses a lot of problems, and it's kind of this, this messy church in Corinth that's full of division, and at times sin, and things that are harming their witness to Christ, their witness to one another, and their witness to non-believers around them. And so it's at the end of that letter that he, he reads these things, or he writes these things to them. And I want to note just a, a, a couple things about the passage before we start really just kind of interpreting it and applying it. Some kind of notes of exposition. The first one, it seems simple, but it says that Paul determines that he's going to remain in Ephesus for a time. Specifically here, he's thinking until Pentecost. We think of Paul and a lot of these apostles as people who are constantly on the go, going from one place to the next. We read the book of Acts, and it's like they're here, and then they're there, and they're moving on and on and on. And that's that's true. Paul went on three different missionary journeys that we read about in the scriptures, but there were times where it wasn't just go, 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 but there were times where he said, no, I'm supposed to stay here for a little while. You see, Paul was known for going, but in fact, he was in Ephesus here for three years. He stayed in that one place ministering and preaching the gospel. But it wasn't that Paul just stayed there because he liked it there. Ephesus had nice beaches or, you know, it was, he liked the culture of the food there. He decided to remain there because he saw it as a divinely directed thing, that God was calling him to stay in Ephesus. If we go back just a couple verses to verse 5, he kind of tells a little bit more about his travel plans. He says, I will visit you in Corinth after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing, but I hope to spend more time with you if the Lord permits. And so you see, Paul has a plan. Here's where I want to go Here's where I think I'm needed. But it's all subjected to if the Lord permits. And you see this throughout the apostles. There's times in in Acts where the apostles will say things like, the Spirit prevented me from going, or the Lord called me to this place. And so Paul here is saying that the Lord is actually calling him to stay where he is. And not to go. Even though he wants to visit the church in Corinth. He, wants them, he sees that he can do th- some things there. He misses them. He wants to be with them. But he says, right now, the Lord has for me to stay put where I am. It's not just his own interests in mind. But it's the Lord's. And specifically, he cites two different reasons for why he's going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. The first is that he sees he's, he just determines that he's going to stay in Ephesus because he sees tremendous opportunity for ministry. The beginning of verse 9, he says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for or because a wide door for effective work has opened to me. We often hear a language of like God opening doors, and, and so we can kind of intuitively know, okay, that he's talking about opportunity here. But we can actually read about in Acts uh, Paul using the similar language and actually read about his account of his time in Ephesus to see what were these wide open doors. In Acts chapter 14, this is not in, in Ephesus but in Antioch. Um, I'll read from it here in Acts 14. It says, Paul and Barnabas, from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And so again, what's this this open door here, and at least as he's been traveling and preaching to the Gentiles, is that the Gentiles are actually responding in faith. There's opportunity for him to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 19, verse 10, Chapter 19 is kind of an account of this time that he was in Ephesus, likely when he wrote the letter to 1 Corinthians. And in verse 10 he describes, he says that, um, Luke says that this continued for two years, it's kind of his preaching and some opposition, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so you see there's great opportunity that many people, there's great opportunity for many people, Jews and Greeks, all throughout Asia to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's this wide door that Paul is talking about. He says, I'm going to stay here because there's opportunity for more people to hear about Jesus. And so I'm going to stay and remain where I am for the time being, as much as I wanted to visit you. But it's not just about opportunity or unrealized opportunity, but it's opportunity where God is actually producing fruit. He calls it a wide door for effective work. It's not just Superficial opportunity, but opportunity for God to actually do real effective work through Paul. If we look back in Acts 19, I'll read some of the accounts of just what is happening. I'll, I'll have to summarize some of it so Otherwise, we could just do a Bible study on Acts 19 um, or preach from Acts 19. But I think the context is important. Um, he goes there, he preaches in synagogues, As often, there's people who reject him, he brings a message to the Gentiles. Um, In verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. There were some Jewish um, exorcists, it said, who tried to cast out demons by the name of Jesus, but it basically went haywire for them. It says, But then after the situation, the Spirit makes himself known. It says in verse 17, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So not just as an opportunity for people to hear the gospel, but you see the gospel is actually changing people's lives and their hearts. They're giving up their practices of witchcraft. They're burning their their magic spells and books. Um, And the word Christ is being extolled, is honored. People are recognizing the power and glory of Christ. And the word of the Lord continues to increase and prevail mightily. And so it's not just this open door of, oh, there's a possibility that something might happen, open door but an open door for effective work. Paul is seeing the Holy Spirit accomplish things through those opportunities. He also says that this wide door for effective work has been opened to me, which means that Paul is not the one who opened the door. We might think of the apostles sometimes as like these trailblazers who, right, there there was this brick wall to the gospel and they, through their own effort, punched through and made the gospel known and certainly there was, there was some trailblazing effort on their parts. They were confident and faithful to go into new places. There continue to be missionaries today who take the gospel to new places and blaze a path forward. But it's ultimately the Lord who's opening the doors for the apostles, for missionaries today. It is the Holy Spirit who lays the, the groundwork. The door has been opened to Paul. Paul's not saying, I opened the door. But again, this is part of his, he's not saying, I'm going to Corinth because I want to see this happen. Or I'm doing this for my glory. He's saying the Lord is doing this. He's opening this door for me here. And so I'm going to stay here as long as the Lord calls me here and has this door open for me. So Paul says he's going to stay in Ephesus first because he sees tremendous opportunities for ministry. And second, because there is firm opposition. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Some translations read, but there are many adversaries, but I'm reading from the ESV here. It says, and there are many adversaries. And I believe the the NIV and the pews also says, and there are many adversaries. Those two statements might sound like they don't go together. Wait, if the door is wide open, then how is there so much opposition? How is that an open door? And that's a a big part of what we're going to look at here in a little bit. But either way, even if it were to be translated, but there is stark opposition, at the very least, it doesn't negate, and Paul is not ignoring the fact that there is an open door. I believe that he's actually saying, I'm staying here because there's opportunity, and I'm staying here because there's opposition. That is why the Lord has called me to this place. What are these many adversaries, these many people who are opposing Paul and his work? Well, in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, we see it was actually both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Um, in Acts 19, in, starting in verse 8, it says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And so he's in the synagogue, this is the Jews. But when some became, became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So there, the Jews, as was often the case as the apostles went, some believed, but then some were stubborn, so continued in their unbelief and spoke evil of the way, accused them of wickedness, stirred up the people against them. There was a lot of opposition that Paul faced. But it wasn't just from the Jews, it was from the Greeks as well. And so we read already that the the gospel is spreading among people, and yet with that, there was growing opposition. Later in Acts 19, a riot actually starts in the town of Ephesus. And it's such a great riot that it, it just paints this picture of confusion, of people shouting things but not actually knowing what they're rioting about. And it just gets so out of hand and they're just shouting over anyone who's trying to speak, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. But actually, the, the, the governor of, of the, the city kind of quiets everyone by saying, look, if this doesn't stop, the Romans might come and kind of wipe us out because there's up, uprising in their territory. And so it, it takes that kind of level of things to just calm things down this riot. And what started this riot was a guy who created and crafted idols to Artemis for the temple in Ephesus. Basically, he was losing some business because people were turning from worship of these idols to Christ, and people didn't know what to do, but Artemis is like the god of this city, and so there's this uprising, this opposition, where it's almost dangerous. People were telling Paul, like, hey, stay away from that riot. We're worried of what might happen to you, but Paul says it's actually precisely those sorts of things is why I need to stay where I am. This is why I need to be here. There's a wide door for effective work. The gospel's going out, and I need to stay here, not just because of the opportunities, but also because of the opposition. And so that's what Paul is, is saying in these couple verses. I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost because for a wide door for effective work is open to me and there are many adversaries. But Paul's talking about his particular situation. What, what is Paul reflecting on in his context that we can actually draw to be true of God even now and today and forever? Like what God does what can we expect of his work? The first kind of point of, of doctrine that um, I want us to consider is that God opens doors for his gospel. Remember, Paul said, a door has been opened to me. Paul was not the one opening the door. And then the obvious question is, well, who, who is it that opens the door wide open for this effective work for the gospel to spread for people to hear the good news about jesus and for those of us who are in church who have um you know been in christian context for a while it'd be obviously like well god opens doors god closes doors we've heard that but we have to think about like do i actually believe that do i actually believe that god opens doors for his gospel or do I believe that the world is this closed-off place that doesn't ever want to hear about the good news? Revelation 3, Jesus says, um, it says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, uh, we read this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And that's just one of a variety of passages that talk about opening and closing doors where it is clearly, right, the true one, the holy one, the Lord himself who opens doors. But we think about evangelism in particular. Think about the Great Commission in Matthew. This is probably the most well-known passage about evangelism, about making the gospel known to other people. And the part we know is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right, We've probably heard that before. But it says, go therefore and make disciples. Right, as you guys have, I'm sure, heard before, when you hear therefore, you ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, do you know what comes right before that? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The sentence, Jesus, that's actually in the middle of what Jesus is saying. Jesus first says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You see, the call to go and make disciples, the call to go and tell people about Jesus is rooted in the fact that Jesus has all authority. He has the authority to open doors. He has the authority to conquer the domain of Satan. He has the authority for wide doors and effective work as his people go out and share the gospel. Or think back to Acts 14 when Paul said that, um, and he was recounting to the church in Antioch how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. It was the Lord leading the way, the Lord providing opportunities for the gospel to go out and to be known and for people to be saved. Or you can think of another call to evangelism and the apostles in Acts chapter one, right before Jesus ascends into heaven. All right, what he commands them is, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But again, do we remember what he says right before that? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Spirit comes and gives you power and starts opening doors, then you will be my witnesses. And in fact, he actually tells them, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes because he's the one who opens the doors for his gospel. And this is true. This isn't just true for the apostles you know, 2,000 years ago. This is true today. God continues to open doors for his gospel to be known by people all over the world. I came across a study um, that was done, I believe, um, it was, uh was the Center for the Study of Global Christianity out of uh, Gordon-Conwell Seminary. This is in 2013, so this is a 10-year-old study. Um, but from what I've heard of accounts of missionaries and um, other publications, this hasn't changed. If anything, it maybe has changed for the better. But what this, part of this research kind of demographics and patterns of Christianity globally. And one of the things that there was someone who kind of sifted through the study and pulled out um, At a a website called All Nations. They looked at, okay, where are the 20 countries where Christianity is growing at the most rapid rate, where you have the highest rate of people coming to Christ? I'm going to read just the, the top 10, top 10 in 2013 of the countries where people were most, the greatest rate of growth, people coming to Christ. Acts like explosion of belief and faith. Number one, Nepal number two, China, number three, United Arab Emirates, number four, Saudi Arabia, number five, Qatar, number six, Oman, number seven, Yemen, number eight, Mongolia, number nine, Cambodia, number 10, Bahrain. Places where Christianity was growing the fastest, by earthly standards, would be the last places you would expect. Places where you would expect, there's a brick wall there. There's opposition there. There's no way that there could possibly be an open door for the gospel to go there. Places where it's illegal, where people are thrown in prison, where people are killed for professing the name of Christ, are ten of the places where at the greatest rate people are coming to Christ if that is not evidence that God opens doors, it's not people. Because any person who says, I'm going to go into one of these places and I'm going to see that the gospel flourished there, apart from God, you would say, you're crazy. There's no way. Because even if Paul himself, and it were just Paul and not the Holy Spirit, and the Lord weren't opening doors, there would be no wide doors for effective work in places like that. But all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. And he opens doors for his gospel, even in the most unlikely of places. That raises the second point. The Lord opens these wide doors, and the enemy tries to oppose those opportunities. Paul said, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You see, the presence of many adversaries, the presence of opposition at these open doors is no coincidence. The Bible talks and and describes kind of both our lives individually, our lives as a church, and the mission of God and evangelism as a spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul uh, writes to the church in Ephesus, interestingly. He says, Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He said there's many advers- There's a wide door and there's many adversaries here. And to those people in Ephesus, he said, Put on the whole armour of God, because we're in a fight. And yes, the opponents, there were Jews, there were Gentiles who were opposing the work, but ultimately, he says, the true enemy of Christ, true enemy of God, Satan, is behind all of it and his, and his powers and principalities, his demons and his, his companions. He does it through people. In Acts chapter 13, we read of a story <clears throat> of uh, this magician, this false prophet and magician. Um, I'll begin reading in verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, so this bar Jesus, opposed them, seeking to turn the pro away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? There's opposition. The Lord's doing something and the enemy, and those whom he comes to do are working against that. And this makes sense. When enemy territory, if there's a battle, and there's, fighting this enemy, and there's a, an enemy, and there's a breach in the wall, and an offensive has been launched, where does the enemy divert his attention? It's to that front. It's to that breach. And so when the kingdom of God is breaking in to the kingdom of darkness, we should expect that the enemy will divert his resources there, that there will be stark opposition. The enemy tries to pose these open doors. When the gates and the walls have been broken down, there's opposition. And it comes in the form of slander, like the Jews are doing, of trying to push people out, of trying to silence the gospel like this bar Jesus, trying to get them to not hear the gospel. The question then is, well, how can this be considered an open door? All right, okay, maybe the door might be physically open, but there were so many enemies there how can Paul still say this is a wide door for effective work and there are many adversaries? How do the two go hand in hand? How can it be called an open door? Let me start addressing that by reading the rest of that story in Acts 13. So Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at this bar Jesus and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Verse 12 Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Say, this guy's opposing him. There's an enemy there. How is that an open door? Well, it's an open door because the presence of enemies does not thwart the purposes and the mission of God. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. And so that very thing of even trying to ruin it, it ends with the pro-council believing. In fact, through the opposition, because it's when the opposition, the spirit prevailed over him that then he believed. Now some might say, but at times, wasn't it true that Paul and the other apostles actually ran out of, got run out of town by the opposition? Weren't there times where actually the gospel didn't spread and he couldn't remain where he was because of this persecution, because of opposition from the enemy? That statement is half true. It is true that at times Paul and the other apostles had to leave places. Th- Thessalonica is one of them. If you read First Thessalonians, he talks about how he kind of got ripped away from them prematurely because he was run out of town by riots. But what's not true is that that meant there weren't wide open doors and that the gospel did not continue to spread. Because when Paul or one of the other apostles got run out of a town, what happened with them? Well, they went to another town and preached the gospel there, and people there came and believed. Or you think early on in the book of Acts, there's persecution that comes upon the church in Jerusalem, and the church is pretty much just in Jerusalem at that point. And what does the persecution do? It causes the Christians to scatter. And you might think, well, the enemy's winning. The enemy here is successful. The wide door in Jerusalem has been, has been closed. But then these people scatter and start talking about Jesus in these other places. And then you go to other places and other places. And so the opposition did not stop the gospel from spreading. In fact, it actually catalyzed it and propelled it to go more places as the apostles bounced from town to town. Not only that, when Paul or an apostle would leave town, they left other Christians there. And those Christians carried on the work of telling more people about Jesus. And so it's true at times the opposition drove apostles out of town, it is not true that the opposition ever stopped the advancement of the good news of Jesus. You see, opposition to God's mission is a a self-defeating task in a lot of ways. Satan tried killing Jesus. That's no secret. We read in in Luke and in John that it actually identifies the time when Satan came in to Judas To betray Jesus and to put him to death. That was his goal. If I can just kill Jesus, then I can do away with this whole advancement of the kingdom of God thing. And that was exactly what the Lord had planned, wasn't it? In Acts 4, the believers, after being persecuted, pray this prayer. And the prayer is actually a prayer for boldness that despite the persecution, they would continue to proclaim the gospel boldly. And this is what they acknowledge in that prayer. They say, For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Oh, that killing Jesus thing that the Jewish rulers... That Pontius Pilate, that Judas, that Satan conspired against, oh yeah, that was exactly what God had planned to do. Because the, the very act of trying to destroy the kingdom of God is the very thing that brought salvation for us. The very reason that the gospel goes out, that we can hear the gospel and believe and have eternal life, is because there was opposition to Jesus' ministry. In 1 John 3.8, the second half of that verse says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since therefore the children, meaning us, mankind, share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear, of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Satan's opposition to kill Jesus is the very thing that delivers us from his grip and from his grasp. Now, the presence of enemies does not thwart the purposes and the mission of God. A well known verse, some of you might be even thinking about as you hear that, is Job 42. After his trials, Job kind of comes and, and confesses to the Lord and acknowledges the Lord's hand in everything. And he says, I know that you, Lord, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 33 likewise speaks of this. I'll begin in, in verse 7. He, the Lord, gathers the water of, waters of the sea as a heap, he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. This is why... Paul resolved to stay. And this is why he could say, there's a wide door for effective work and there are many adversaries. If anything, the many adversaries almost show that there's a wide door for effective work. Last week we sang, I think it was last week we sang, Randy, you can correct me, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. By Martin Luther. It was timely being the celebration of the Reformation I want to read again for us. You could almost read that whole hymn. I'm not going to sing for you guys. I'll leave that to Randy. Um, <clears throat> but I just want to read the third verse. I'm going to read a little slowly. I want you to, guys, I want us to listen to these words and hear this truth. That when Paul says, I will remain in Ephesus for there is a, a wide door and there are many enemies. Not much opposition. But he stays there because he knows that the Lord is sovereign, and that all that opposition cannot stop the mission of God. Listen for that that same triumph and confidence in this hymn. This is the third verse. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Now what about us? What about us today? Now what, not, what, okay, Paul is in Ephesus and, and Corinth and these places. What about us today? How should we respond to the fact that God opens doors but there's lots of opposition to those open doors a lot of times. And then how, what, how can we apply that confidence that that opposition will not stop the mission and purpose of God? Well, the first thing, if God is the one who opens these wide doors for effective work, then I think we should be praying for open doors. See, Paul said that the, the Lord had opened, has opened a wide door for effective work to him, which does imply that at some point, the door was closed. If the Lord has opened it, there was a time when it was closed. But God opens doors for his gospel. Are we praying for that? Are we saying, well, I'll wait for a time when it seems like the door is open. Or I'll try on my own to make an open door and push my way in. Or are we asking God, Lord, would you open a door for me to talk to you, talk about someone I know, talk with someone I know about you. Will you give me opportunities to tell my family member about the gospel? Will you open a door for me to talk to my friend about who Jesus was? Are we waiting prayerfully? Or are we just waiting and assuming that door is going to stay closed? Or do we believe that God, no, God opens doors for his gospel? There was a, a coworker of mine with crew. She works now with, it's a, kind of ministry of crew, but specific with international students. Um, and she, her story was that she was stubbornly not Christian going into college. And she had, I believe it was a roommate, a friend, a couple friends maybe, who repeatedly shared the gospel with her, who kept inviting her, who kept talking for her, and who kept praying for her. And she now, her life is to share the gospel with students from all over the world at Penn State. She, I don't know if this is something she always says, but I remember her saying it in one meeting we had. Um, I think we, we might have been just reflecting on times when it feels like doors are closed. We share and we share and we talk to people about Christ and it doesn't seem like much is happening. And she was talking about when she has friends who seem stubborn, like she herself was, to the gospel, and responsive, and like there's not opportunity there. What she does is she prays fervently that she would have opportunity And her phrase that I'll I'll never forget is she said, oh, they're no match for my prayers. Because God opens doors to his gospel, even in places like those 10 countries, and even in the lives of people who you know, who you may think they will never be interested in hearing. There's no way I'll ever have a chance. But if we pray, we pray in faith, knowing that God opens doors for his gospel. And do that where you are. Paul said, I'm going to remain in Ephesus. Wherever you are, you don't have to be a mission. You don't have to be going from place to place. Paul was writing this to the church in Corinth, wherever they are. If you are here, you have people around you who do not know the gospel of Jesus. We should be praying for open doors and opportunities for effective work. We're not just praying for those op- open doors. If we pray, we need to be looking for those op- open doors. It's because the tendency, like we said, is for us to think open doors means easy. An open door for the gospel means, oh, there's no one here. And at times the Lord may graciously provide those sorts of opportunities. We should also expect that when there's an open door, there's going to be a lot of opposition. So looking for open doors does not mean looking for where it's easy. The looking for the gospel is needed. Do you know people who are hurting and need a God who heals and restores? Do you know someone who is yearning for something more in life and needs the bread of life, the living water that satisfies? Do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone who is in despair and could use the hope of Christ? Those are open doors to tell someone about Jesus because that's someone who needs Jesus and who while they might but not be looking for Jesus himself, they're looking for what Jesus offers. Now there might be opposition. You might, you might feel it internally. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to do this. I'm not Paul. I don't know if there is a wide door for effective work for me. Yes, that might be... A barrier but it doesn't mean the door is not open that's the opposition that's not a closed door the Lord can overcome that talk with people about that talk with people who you know who do talk to people about Jesus say hey help me think through this and pray to the spirit that he would give you words to say, I say oh, if I if I bring up Jesus they'll think I'm I'm foolish or silly well that doesn't mean the door's not open that means that the enemy is planting a barrier or possibly even an outright lie. That the door is not open. Because first of all, you're projecting, you don't know that they would say that. You're assuming that. But it doesn't mean that they aren't in need of Christ. There's someone opposing you at the door, but it doesn't mean the door is not open. Or they might think I'm rude. Or one of those people for bringing up Jesus. Again, that's not a lack of an open door. That's an enemy in the door trying to oppose the open door. The thing is, we can think the door's not open because of these sorts of things. You might even think, oh, they'll hate me, or it will ruin my relationship with that person if I bring up Jesus. But I say, if we don't look for those open doors, even despite opposition like that, it's going to hurt your relationship even more. Because by someone hearing the gospel, you have the opportunity to have the relationship you have with them, would it be rooted in Christ? So, oh, this isn't just my brother by birth. But if this person knew Christ, they would be my brother in Christ as well. And you know, I get to enjoy that relationship with them forever. So we see these things as barriers to the gospel, which they are. I'm not saying evangelism is not hard. Paul would have told you that. He was stoned, he was imprisoned, he was run out of town, he was at times impoverished for doing it. But he still said, there's a wide door for effective work here. So when we look for these open doors, we have to look for where is God creating opportunity for me to share Christ? And where is there a need for Christ in someone's life? Not how hard it is. The difficulty is real, but it doesn't negate the open doors. Third application, pray for open doors, look for open doors. And then we need to step into those open doors and witness of the effect of work. A prayer I've been praying recently when I do evangelism on, on campus at Penn State is that, that first prayer. God, give me opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And God, Give me the courage to take advantage of those opportunities. And sometimes I need to add that second part just as much as the first part. Because it is hard. Because there is real opposition to the gospel. Because Paul says, and there are many adversaries. And then he says, that's why I'm going to stay here. And that is courage. But not courage rooted in like Paul's this great courageous guy. He talked in some, earlier in 1 Corinthians actually about how when he came and preached the gospel to him, it was in weakness and trembling and fear. And he didn't depend on his his own oratory skills and wisdom to preach the gospel. It is hard, but the courage comes not from ourselves, not from conjuring up some, pull myself up by my bootstraps and let's do this. But it comes from that third point, that the presence of enemies does not thwart the purposes and the mission of God. It might be true that someone will think you're foolish for talking to them about Christ. It might be true that they'll think you're that person but you know what it won't do? What's not true is that the advance of God's kingdom and people being saved will not be stopped by those things because a wide door for effective work has been opened. So I want to encourage us to do is to remain. The Lord's not calling you, elsewhere. I think we should be open to where is the Lord calling me? But if you're here, he's called you here for the time being, and so we need to remain in Lance, and pray, and look, and step into open doors. We need to remain in Grass Flat, in Kyler Town. Pray for open doors here, and look for the open doors here, and step into the open doors here. In stale and Drifting, and Phillipsburg, right, fill in the blank. Will we remain here, because a wide door for effective work is opened? And yes, there are many adversaries. That, does not, that did not stop Paul from staying where he was and continuing the work he did, and so it shouldn't stop us either. This is our prayer. God, give us opportunities to tell people about Jesus and give us the courage to take advantage of those opportunities.